How funny is it that last week we intended to talk about Instagram, uh, ended up getting so caught up in how interesting Dan Hawk is that we missed out. And then it just so happened that like days later they unveil their, you know, major redesign and everything. <laughs> Touch the bullet right there. <laughs> yeah. I, it works out in our favor though, because now it means we can actually talk about it um, and include all that design talk in this episode. Yeah. We could probably spend an hour talking about that new icon though. I suspect we will. Right. <laughs> and in, in all fairness, it's not that surprising because we have a history of getting sidetracked on the show. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe I'm being optimistic here saying we're going to talk about Instagram. We may never get out of the news section. <laughs> well, let's, let's wait it out. Let's, let's see how it goes. All right. Well, let's, let's breeze through our news section or try to. So one of the things that, um, that was published uh, this week that caught my eye was um, an article on Petapixel about um, how a camera makes you feel as a factor in your decision-making process when you're purchasing a new camera. And um, it, it kind of resonated with me because uh, it's something that I've sort of been talking about when uh, uh, when we were still discussing what camera I would choose. And one of the things that I um, uh, kept coming back to when considering Sony systems is that I've just not really had a particularly... Um, pleasant shooting experience with them. Um, you know, despite their technical capabilities, I just, they, they don't really inspire me to go out and shoot, which to me is an important thing. And so it was nice to see someone else um, expressing similar um, feelings about this in terms of, you know, the, the fact that a camera does or does not inspire you to go out and shoot is actually a really important factor, I think, when you're buying it. Yeah, absolutely. Right along with how the camera looks. He does talk a little bit about that, right? About how it uh, looks aesthetically. Yeah, and it's interesting because these are kind of intangible and very difficult to quantify um, factors because it's not really, uh, first of all, everyone's going to have their own opinion about them, but it's also something that it's very, it's difficult to like justify to someone else in a conversation. Not that you would have to, but you know, if you're trying to explain why you chose one particular camera, it sounds kind of silly to say, well, it looks better than the other one as if you know what i mean like as a right. criteria yeah. it just seems kind of silly but i think in the context of your entire image of those cameras it makes sense like if that's the main factor then yes it's a little concerning right but if that's just something if that's just one part of your um decision making process then that's fine by me i think it does make sense that you would want to have a camera that you think looks decent i mean you are carrying this thing with you um, everywhere. So, yeah. well, ideally anyway. I think everybody would have a Leica T strapped to their sh shoulder if that were the case. Yeah, probably. <laughs> sure. Ooh, I'm looking for some reaction here. I, I'm actually not crazy about how the Leica T work, uh, looks. Oh, it's so pretty. I prefer the M. I'm, I'm putting a moratorium on Leica talk. We cannot. We are going to spend an hour. <laughs> we fair cannot enough. talk about fair Leica. Enough, fair enough. <laughs> but by the way, right. Marius, are you sure this Spencer Bentley isn't a, a pseudonym of yours. I am very sure. Because this reads like you wrote it, like completely. I am very sure. I, I... He even <laughs> goes as far as to say, and I'm quoting, I way prefer Fuji to Sony. That's a dead giveaway, man. <laughs> Confess. Confess right now. Whether or not I paid him uh... to say that is a different... No, I'm I'm kidding. I, I don't know. I actually, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I haven't even read um, more of his work so this is this kind of just came out of nowhere for me but i i really enjoyed this particular article so i figured i'd pull it out there for uh for us to to look at how, how do you guys feel about this because i know that uh, being sony shooters um this is something that we have differing opinions on because for me the, the sony ecosystem did not present a whole lot of um ergonomic joy but for you guys it seems to be um it seems to be great 
Well, let, let's put ergonomics aside. How ugly is are those Sony A7 cameras? Like they're just not camera looking at all, are they? No, they look a little like transformers to me, but I, I I honestly can't call them ugly. I mean, they have the the, the basic camera shape. They have a Sony design. I uh, I, I would know. probably call them boring, not necessarily ugly. Okay, but yeah, they're boring. Okay, they're, they're really boring, yeah. and not just the way that they look, uh, also in how they operate and how they work. Yeah, these are not they're, they're not fancy. They're not supposed to inspire those feelings in in people. I believe. And that's a shame because I agree that this is a very important aspect and a camera that you enjoy using has a much greater possibility of being with you when it counts. So I, I as someone who's coming from shooting Olympus, uh, I really do miss that aspect because I love my, my EM10. It's a little marvel that I I almost never left home without it. And... and that's something I don't do with the with the A7 II, mostly because, you know, these are not really comparable. The A7 II is much more uncomfortable to carry on you casually because it doesn't fit in most uh, small bags or it is just more difficult to to have it on you and not be uh, and and not notice it. So that's something that I'm still struggling with. Uh, unfortunately. When it came, uh, when the time to choose a new system came for me, I I did consider looks and and aesthetics and and the way the camera feels, but it was a secondary parameter for me. Um, but I do think I will uh, sooner or later end up with a camera that I that I enjoy shooting with uh, for you know for everyday usage. Right, as a secondary camera. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. Same here, I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I mean that's that's one way to approach the problem, and and I guess it depends on where you're willing to make compromises. Because I think if you're choosing um, if you're choosing a Sony camera, the uh, implication is that you're basically not willing to make any compromises in terms of image quality or image like technical excellence, uh, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, ultimately, that is the product of any camera related endeavor it's the it's the image so not compromising on that front makes a lot of sense but um it it depends on where you draw that line because for me for instance while you could on paper make lots of arguments about why um the sony sensors beat the pants off of anything that you know fuji or olympus or any of the other guys are doing in practice um you know looking at the files and working with the files and and actually delivering them to clients um you you have a slightly different outlook on um, how that technical excellence actually maps out into practical reality, like how much of the extra resolution becomes meaningful in a work context or how much of the additional dynamic range do you actually um, draw on if you're shooting with you know proper technique right. you know you're not trying to always rescue um, failed exposures because you you know you were under you were over or whatever so I, you know to me that that's an interesting thing because you, each person is going to draw that line differently. And um, that is where I think if you're willing to not put technical things on a back seat, but maybe um, not go for the very best on that front, then you open up a lot of options from Olympus, from Fuji, from these other guys who have maybe invested a little more time and energy into other aspects of the cameras as well, alongside the um, 
sensor components. So right. it's it's cool. I mean, this is why it's nice to have competition in the market. Yeah, definitely. And and this debate is a lot more relevant when you think of photography in terms of storytelling or when you think of it as an art expression form. It's if if a camera for you is a tool through which you see the world and you try to uh, create uh, something wonderful, then I agree that this is super important. Um, if you think about it in terms of a work tool, you know, for where technical aspects are sometimes uh, essential that you, you can't afford to give certain things up because you need them for your work, as is, as it is the case with most uh, working professionals, then you have to give up uh, looks in the process sometimes. And that's unfortunate, but it, but it is the, it is the, the truth right now yeah. for me <clears throat> i think i see a big opportunity for sony um when it comes to their new a9 or whatever that it's going to be you know the the next step up from the a7s because i think that's now that they've really honed their technical chops i think they have an opportunity to bring to market a camera that competes i mean obviously it will it will be the best um uh, in terms of specs i think that's a given at this point but I would love to see them also take on Olympus and Fuji in terms of ergonomics and design. Like I want that camera to be something that is the best professional tool, but is also something that would make me want to go out and shoot with it. Something that's comfortable, something that looks kind of nice. Uh, you know, not I don't care that it's retro styled right. or not, because for me that nostalgic angle is is not really that important. I just want it to look good, you know, and and a contemporary version of good is perfectly fine by me. Uh, so I, I await with uh, a lot of curiosity what Sony's next camera will look like because the I mean obviously there's going to be um, A7 revisions as well I expect and they'll probably look more or less the same as they do now which is fine but I'm I'm waiting for the next camera system essentially from from Sony because that will be um, that will be where they have an opportunity to really catch up on these other fronts that they've neglected in favor of. Um, just pushing the envelope technically. And you'll have to change systems again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and perhaps the the recent attempt that uh, we've seen from Olympus, the Pen F, is a very good example of this. This is a camera that shares most of the technical chops with their more traditional looking OMD cameras, but goes for a very aggressive uh, retro uh, look. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess it'll tickle some people's fancy, like it, it'll... It, it's a camera that people will pick off the shelf, pick up from the shelves, uh, and and feel drawn to it, and that's great. If that's what they were going for, then that's amazing. I don't know if it'll work very well for them, but they certainly have nothing to lose. So, well, it's interesting that you say that because we uh, we have a another article that went up that was uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, it was a an overview of how the mirrorless ecosystem is is doing in general from a financial perspective. Um, because of course we're in the season where everyone is posting their quarterly results. And so Tom Hogan of, um, of sansmirror.com, um, basically collected all this data and, and put it together into a really nice article that we'll link in the, in the show notes. Um, but to me, it was, it was pretty fascinating. Um, not only how, uh, differently the various companies are performing, but also how, uh, how they report their earnings and how some of them try and kind of mask perhaps some of their, like how, how mirrorless fits into the picture of their, uh, of their earnings. Um, and there are just some, some interesting things that, that I did not know. I mean, um, for instance, uh, Fuji 
for them, the entirety of their camera um, business is is something like two point five percent of of their overall um, like efforts. Like that's to me, that's just uh, remarkable considering the amount of attention that I perceive them um, putting on their camera business. The fact that it accounts for such a small part of their actual income uh, or act like business in overall is is remarkable right um, but i kind of want to hear from josh on this because he's our he's our finance guy um i mean looking at some of these numbers and looking at the earnings do you do you have a different opinion on how healthy or not um the the mirrorless um manufacturers are well i think what i found interesting i commented on the newsprint a few weeks ago about this about sony breaking out its um how its revenue breaks down and like the reports seemed really positive. They had a huge increase in operating income and blah, blah, blah. But then you realize that their actual like mirror mirrorless camera sales were down year over year. So I, what really kind of bugged me was, was that, that, um, if sales are up, it looked like, or sorry, if operating income is up, then, um, it's more likely due to efficiencies that they found rather than actual like camera number sales going up. Right. So I didn't, I didn't like that, that it was a little bit. Uh, did you, did you, do you remember if they broke down the numbers in terms of uh, how many compact cameras they sold or, or, and then how many interchangeable lens cameras they sold or was it just cameras, one giant category and they released the numbers applying to all of them? Because it could one thing that could explain those numbers is if uh, sales of low-end uh, compact cameras were way down, but the A7 series cameras were up, uh, right? Continue right. to be popular, right. Yeah, that would that would explain the increase in operating income, but the overall decrease in sales. Yeah, which is funny because if anyone is selling compact cameras these days, it's probably Sony with the RX100 series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, you know, that they're the ones that are doing it. I, maybe we'll see some inroads from uh, from Nikon and from Canon with their their new G1X series or G5Xs or whichever they are. And Nikon's new, um, that little trio of uh, of compacts. I forget the the name now, but those those look pretty interesting. I just, yeah, I mean, compact cameras as a category have been nosediving for years now. So right. it's, uh, y you might be onto something there. The, the Sony report doesn't break it down, just says imaging products and solutions. So right. um, yeah, there, their operating revenue soared in, um, for the, it's a March 31st year end. So this is actually not, this isn't a quarterly report. I think this is the entire year end report. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, operating income up, but sales down. And then, but then like flying in the face of that is Olympus's reports. They have a 5% five, 5 increase in mirrorless sales during the year. So, right. which is odd, right? Because we're kind of, we're kind of anti Olympus on the show here these days. Cause we just <laughs> no, kind of don't not. agree. Well, I love their cameras, but <laughs> okay, fair enough. But like, but according to their numbers, it looks like they, uh, they increased their mirrorless sales um, and their, op or sorry, their compact sales were down. So yeah, anyway, uh, I find that interesting. Canon uh, announced some of their earnings as for their DSLR and there was basically their uh, DSLR division and there was a 0% growth. So same old, same old. Yeah, you know, each individual company's numbers might not actually tell any much, any part of the story, but in aggregate, they might have a better idea of how, of where things are kind of trending. Yeah, well, that's what interests me is is looking at the numbers together because each individual company will have its own, uh, you know, tactics for reporting this information in the first place. So it's it's really when you look at it together, um, it interests me because I'm I'm curious about the health of the camera industry overall, right? And and this is this is sort of 
our best guess at, uh, at at getting that information because, of course, none of the companies are particularly open about how specific kinds of cameras or specific, you know, portions of their imaging uh, divisions are working out, you know, lenses versus bodies and things like that. So it's it's pretty difficult to, to draw any firm conclusions. But um, I just like to see that, um, at least in the mirrorless realm, some companies are succeeding. Like, I'm, I'm very happy to see Olympus doing well. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the... Uh, obviously, the the strength of the their recent products, but also the strength of their recent marketing campaign, which uh, you know we we can't undersell how well that. Uh, I don't know if you guys you've you've probably seen it, but that that giant campaign that they had plastered everywhere with the the really really heavy DSLR arm thing. Um, oh right, yeah, <laughs> that was a really really good campaign, and I'm I'm pretty sure that that did uh, great things for them because I saw those ads everywhere, at least in my. Um, in my area here, they they had that uh, those posters up near every camera store, and uh, you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if they saw a big uptick in sales just because of you know finding a way to frame their product um, appeal and their, their their value proposition in that way. So uh, you know it's it's good to see. Anyway, I just I like this uh, I like this article because it's a good overall summary of all of them. Um, it's sometimes difficult to get that because each, uh, you know, each company has its own rumor site and then you've got to go looking at yeah, all of them yeah. separately. So this, this, uh, I appreciated that Tom took the time to, to bring that all together and kind of summarize it. I, I would, uh, I'd love to see it's impossible. I get it, but I'd love to see how Apple's, um, how their financial reports, in, you know, in the imaging portion were to compare to this. Yeah. Wow. Uh, because we all know that the iPhone is easily the, the most popular compact camera in the world. Yes. Uh, so I, I just wonder what their investment is. You know, they have hundreds of people working on just the iPhone camera. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if they could somehow break out numbers of people buying an iPhone for the sake of a camera. Oh, I, I, I bet you'd be off the charts and everybody else would just be shuddering. Yeah, but it would be very difficult, I think, to to draw a line and to distinguish between people who are buying it like as a camera. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Because right, like, right. right, it's, it's, diff- like it's how- impossible to report on. Yeah. I, I just... It'd be interesting to see. For it sure. absolutely would be. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it, this is something we'll circle back to when we actually eventually get to Instagram. But the the iPhone has been um, just a, a remarkable force for photography in general, and uh, it, it cannot be overstated how much of a uh, transition point it was for the whole industry, basically, um, in terms of democratizing photography. Good word. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so there was also, uh, this, to me, it was kind of surprising. Um, DP Review posted a review of the Nikon D810, which, of course, is a two-year-old camera now. So we kind of went, uh, what? But it was one of those long-term... <laughs> it's already a vintage camera. Yeah, essentially. But It, <laughs> it, you know, it, it uses a, a vintage Sony sensor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for that. No, 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 you're right. You're right. But it's it, it was cool because they, uh, you know, I, I actually prefer these kind of long-term... Uh, deep dive reviews because I think they there's more to learn from them than the earlier ones. This is in depth. Holy smokes! Uh, yeah, yeah, it is really in depth. And, <laughs> yeah, and it is. What stood out to me was their um, their evaluation of the sensor and specifically how well it performs at its base ISO because the the D810 has a cool base ISO of uh, uh, 64 instead of 100 or 200 like most um, cameras have these days. Yep. And apparently at ISO 64. Um, it actually has comparable dynamic range and resolving power to medium format sensors. Um, specifically, they compared it to the Pentax uh, 645Z uh, or Z for you Americans. Um, 
and that's like a seven thousand dollar <laughs> camera. So the fact that a uh, you know a, a two thousand dollar DSLR is is even competing in the same ballpark is uh, is pretty pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive. You know what? I'm just on this real world dynamic range. Uh, their image comparison tool, where is that? Where that photo of uh, like it's like a lighthouse or something like that. Yeah. And you just click a little square and look at how poor the ES or uh, the five D Mark three resolves that image compared to. The DA10. Yeah, I mean that was never oh really my. a fair comparison. That the, the D810 is yeah. so so far ahead of Canon's sensor there in terms of dynamic range. That's not even funny. Goodness, it's not even funny. And there are they largely the same price? The DA10 is a little bit more, right? I think the DA10 is, goes for more these days. I mean, you can certainly find a 5D Mark III for less um, on the used market than you can a D810. But I, I think that retail-wise, they're essentially equivalent. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but this is where loyalty and and lens buy-in factors in, right? I mean, the D810 might be uh, great, but are you really going to sell or or try and transfer, you know, twenty thousand dollars worth of lenses from your Canon system just because this <laughs> one body has better dynamic range, right? Like it's fair enough. That's that's how they get you. It's uh, it's tough. Oh, look at that image of the uh, the lightning out in the background on the beach or whatever. Oh. Wow. Anyway, yeah, that's impressive. I'll stop just that's marveling. Really this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I find it very interesting that how the, I mean how they shot that image that you mentioned, Josh. They shot it at ISO sixty four, even <sighs> if, even at night. And what they did was just use a a normal shutter speed, and you end up with pretty much a a, a black image, like completely underexposed, and then pushed all of the shadows in post post-process- post-processing and that's how you can get the benefits of using the great performance of this camera at ISO 64 and and the result will be better than if you had shot the same image at ISO 4000 or something like that and that's really really interesting it also opens up a whole different set of techniques right because if you if you know that your camera is capable of something like that then you actually can approach shooting scenes differently right because you you might otherwise instinctively want to crank the iso right but in this particular case you would have to say wait a minute i I might actually be able to work around it this entirely different way that most other cameras could only dream of doing so yeah uh, it, it certainly makes the d810 an interesting camera and as far as um, longevity in the market. I mean, we were talking about this um, last week in terms of the um, Leica digital bodies and whether or not they're going to have the same staying power as their film equivalents. Um, you know, there's there's been a few cameras in the digital world so far that, to me, seem like they have that kind of staying power, and and the D810 is definitely one of them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, I can't imagine the bang for your buck here is really high. I don't think the DA10 will get to stay around for as long as the 5D Mark III from Canon has, because Nikon has a tendency to refresh their cameras more often than Canon. Right. But it'll continue to be massively popular in the secondhand market. I'm definitely sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it time for the main course of the meal for once, finally? I think it may be time. We we spent less than a half hour on our. First, this is amazing. Wow. I'm proud of ourselves. We're so good. <laughs> hey, you know how good we are? We're so good that you guys should give us some Overcast recommendations. Ooh, good segue. Right, right, right? <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> We're getting better at this. 
Uh, for real though, we we actually do really benefit from um, having your love on Instagram and on iTunes. And we don't very often ask you, but if you do have a moment um, and you could take the time to leave us a review or just literally hit the little recommend button when you're listening. Um, we know we have a lot of Overcast users. Uh, it really helps us and uh, we'd appreciate it. And of course, if you have feedback for us, we'd also love to hear from you. Um, we just recently had a bit of a tweet conversation um, where we discovered that, of course, people want to hear a little bit more about uh, the iPhone as a tool for photography. So we are now planning to cover that in a little more depth in future episodes. So don't be shy about letting us know what you'd like to hear about, because we're more than open to supplementing our own topic ideas with things that you want to hear about. So get in touch. Um, We're on Twitter at candid underscore FM, and you can also send us an email directly at hello at candid.fm. So... Now we can talk about Instagram. Boom. Okay. Awesome. Okay, icon. Here we go. Wow, starting strong. It's pretty good, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let, let's start with the, the, the one thing that is not polarizing at all and that it, it's surely going to take just a, a couple minutes to discuss. Yeah, the icon. That's a good start. <laughs> we have been waiting for this for what, five years? Yeah, uh, I think it was Ben Thompson or someone uh, on Twitter pointed out something really funny that now, just as the icon was beginning to have its own sort of charm as the holdout of a skeuomorphic, des- skeuomorphic design in uh, you know this modern flat design landscape, now they choose to change it. It's it's strange. Yeah. But on the other hand, I am happy to see it changed. And I'll be honest with you guys, it's grown on me. I, I'm not bothered by it at all. On my home screen, it now, it's still very distinctive. Um, right. It does look a little like a washing machine if you, uh, you know, if you squint <laughs> and, and misinterpret the icon. Where did that come from again? Was that that parody Johnny Ive account? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, really funny. It made me laugh. But, but, you know, I mean, it's honestly with icons, um, there's a lot of cases where you can misinterpret them. And I think... Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shallow criticism in a sense, because if you're looking at the Instagram icon, you're, it's pretty clearly not a washing machine and on your phone, it's probably not, you know, an app for a washing machine. So I I don't know that that's a a particularly meaningful critique, but (laughs) yeah, I know you guys, I think you guys are a lot more negative about the icon, uh, than I am. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing why. Well, it's grown on me too, ever since I saw it, it's, it's grown on me as well. I now hate it even more. (laughs) But, <laughs> but you know, uh, I just yeah, I I can't help it. I, it doesn't make sense. And the more I read about the process behind the new icon, and the more I read about the other um, candidates that they considered, there were so many of them that were clearly better than the one they ended up going with. That it's just to me, it's uh, it's disappointing. I particularly liked one that said. It, it's a very slight modification on the one that they that we have now, which is that if I if they had kept sort of the leather portion of the camera, it would be of course it wouldn't be leather in this version. It would be just white. But you know what I'm talking about? Like half yep, the icon, yep. the upper half of the icon, should be solid white, and that would make it look so much more like the original Instagram while still retaining the the look of of the, the current version. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things that when you see it, you think, how did they not go with this? It's, to my eyes, it's so much better. But uh, I mean, I guess that's why I'm not a designer. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, to me, what's interesting uh, about this discussion in general is that you you do, you know, I mean, there's been an article um, from someone on the design team that we'll link in the show notes, uh, and they were kind of walking us through the the process. And you, you have to acknowledge that there are so many factors at play when you're trying to design branding for such a massive product. Um, and w- to, to me, the, the biggest thing to keep in mind is that designers find lots of different ways to justify things. And we, you know, they can talk about why they made certain decisions and why and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, um, what matters is not what other designers think, right? And that's the the difficult thing to um, take into account is that even though there's a lot of people criticizing it in the design community, um, the icon is designed for the masses. And the only actual way to judge its success is to see how normal people are reacting to it and whether or not they even care, um, honestly. And and that's, that's something that um, is much more difficult to design for and to plan for because you're trying to make it work not just for what iOS looks like today, for instance, and what Android looks like today, but for what they will look like in the future. Because as we've you know witnessed, uh, Instagram is probably not going to be changing this anytime soon. Right. Um, so there's a lot of like planning and long-term vision and whatever. And yes, um, you know it's kind of comical. Um, I, I think you guys have probably seen that GIF of the uh, of the kid playing with gradients in, in yeah. retro yeah. Photoshop and everything. And you know it's it's always <laughs> funny to to trivialize things like that because it's like yeah, it, it's actually very straightforward to reproduce this um, if, if you wanted to. But the the journey that they took to arrive at this particular solution is is interesting. And while for designers, we can agree or disagree with how they chose to end up there, the proof will be in the pudding, how, how people actually respond to it. Um, you know, non-designers, non-techie people, people who will just update the app or have it automatically updated at some point and then right they'll react to it i couldn't agree more with alvaro for what it's worth that you could that leather portion of it should be should still be there but since the day that it got changed over um i have fallen in love with the icon to be honest I, i've totally flipped over gears i think it's my favorite icon on my entire home screen oh there you go <laughs> that's fair enough i, I really yeah i don't know i i think uh i find the choice of like colors that they chose for the background of it to be a little bit odd, considering the fact that that little rainbow that they used to have on the old one was kind of, it was kind of iconic, so to say. Yeah. It, I, people associated with Instagram like completely. Right. Yeah. And, and they've totally get, gotten rid of that. There's also something else at play here though. And it's, it's something that occurred to me the other day. Um, when, when Instagram, you know, first put out their uh, previous icon, it was just, Instagram. But Instagram right now is a network. It is also a collection of apps. And so they had to keep in mind that um, Layout and Boomerang and uh, Hyperlapse and you know th- these other apps that contribute to uh, the Instagram ecosystem, they have to all share a similar aesthetic language. And previously they didn't. Um, now they do. And this is, you know, again, it's a way for them to to bring those things together and to also um, leave open the possibility of bringing other apps in. I mean, one one thing that we can talk about is whether or not we think that Instagram will eventually split out uh, the actual camera functionality into its own app, or perhaps have like a professional, um, you know, more fully featured camera app as a separate um, module, and and keep the the core Instagram app as just the 
the network, the sort of consumption. Right. That'd be a very Facebook thing to do, wouldn't it? It would, it would, but it's not something, I mean, they're owned by Facebook, right? So that's, yeah. that's why it even right. came to mind because it's like, that's, that's something that we might potentially see, especially if Apple is going to um, continue investing heavily in the photography side of its um, iOS offerings, hardware and software wise. You know, if we do see raw support, if we do see who knows what other cool um, API things we'll see in iOS 10 that may impact um, mobile photography. Like that's raw it, support. Yeah, I'm, I mean that's the main <laughs> one. But you know, they're they're also um, likely to surprise us with things that we're not expecting and, and might turn out to be delightful in some other ways. So um, it's another checkbox to check off. We complained about raw support in iOS. Oh, anyway, did. yeah, yeah. <laughs> done. done. We got to publish a, a bingo sheet. We really you know just keep it in the show notes for, for people. No, no drinking games for us. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> we could totally kickstart a drinking game. Um, okay, so the the only other thing about the icon, um, I, I think the one thing that I uh, I can criticize it for, but this is really um, something that any icon redesign is going to um, face as a challenge is that. There's a lot of um, familiarity that builds up over time. And for a lot of people, it's just muscle memory opening the Instagram app, right? They, they look for it and they, they're not even identifying it by, um, by name or anything like that. They just sort of have this colorful blob that their brain magnetically pushes their finger to. Um, and that's how they open <laughs> the app. And now that image is different. So there's going to be an adjustment period while people um, realize that Instagram now looks different on their home screen. And it sounds like a stupid you know, small thing, right. but it, it is, you know, when, when you, uh, it's like if you switch around the order of icons on your home screen, you're going to have a bad time for the first few days because, right. uh, you know, we're just used to where everything is and what it looks like. Um, and so changing that is, is a challenge regardless of how drastic the change is. I mean, in this case, it's pretty dramatic, like from color to, uh, to, uh, style to everything. It's just a totally different planet, but, um, yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of grown on me. I I don't I don't have strong feelings about it either way. I didn't hate it to begin with. I didn't love it to begin with, and I still don't. Um, I'm more interested in what's going on inside the app, frankly. Right. And what do you think? There's a big change that way. Well, I mean, the the monochromatic thing um, is, I think, a very smart decision for an imagery app. I always like that about Visco Cam's. Um, uh, like photo sharing side of it is is very minimal chrome um, nothing really drawing attention to the interface it was all about the images and now Instagram has done um, you know a, a similar thing with this uh, monochromatic transition and one of the um, things that uh, people are speculating about is whether or not this is indicative of a potential dark mode coming to iOS in iOS 10 because this would you know obviously make it much easier for them to to facilitate that so I don't know do, do you guys think that's um, coming or maybe not it might be I mean it wouldn't surprise me it's something that many people have been asking for for a while and Apple tends to every now and then like uh, grant these little wishes to people <laughs> like they're so, a genie in a bottle <laughs> yeah i mean after, at the end of the day they are the ones calling the shots so it's it's almost like they're being merciful on us <laughs> yeah uh but yeah i think this is uh, something that's likely to arrive at some point to ios and why not this year yeah i think like uh in, in regards to Instagram specifically, I don't know how everybody else browses the, their Instagram feeds, but I find I browse it first thing in the morning and like late at night. Those are kind of the two times that I do. So for dark, uh, dark mode, 
would be, even if it doesn't come in iOS 10, it would be nice at the very least that they could add it in as a, you know, a, whatever, a 5.1 type uh, iteration, right? Yeah, definitely. And what I find uh, most uh, odd about the whole redesign is how different the uh, changes in the icon are to the changes in the rest of the app. Like they've gone for full full on color on the icon and then they've stripped all the color out from the app. And that's, it, it feels odd to me for some reason. Not that I don't like the black and white look. I do. I think it has too much contrast. Like it would probably be a little easier on the eyes and a little uh, easier to understand if they had played with different scales of gray a little bit more. But uh, but I, I like it. I mean, it, I think it works. Uh, it's just uh, in stark contrast with the icon. It, it both seem to um, seem to showcase very different philosophies, and that's uh, that's interesting to me. They also have different goals, though, right? Because the the icon's goal is to get you into the app in the first place, and then the interface's goal is to disappear so that it's all about the content once you're in there. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So, you know, I don't I don't know that there's much of a conflict. There is certainly a huge discrepancy, though, that's for sure. Because, yeah, it's like this rainbow vomit colored icon. And then you get in there and it's just... Excellent description. <laughs> vomit. <laughs> I guess that's our episode title. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Calling it right now. Anyway, so, so I mean, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, we could spend more time on the look, but honestly, I think there's been a lot of chatter about that. And and ultimately, I think what we can contribute to the conversation is is a deeper look at Instagram as a as a product and as a um, sort of its place in the current photography um, industry. Which uh, I mean, it's become extremely important. I think more so than some of the other photo sharing networks like uh, you know Flickr and and 500 Pixels because. It's it's different. It's really not the same kind of product in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has uh, caught on so much more than any other photography-related apps. So it's it's almost well, it is bigger than Twitter right now, isn't it? As a social network, I believe so. Yeah, that's impressive. Like really, it's impressive. crazy. Yeah, because yeah. it it looks like that would be impossible. Because I mean, taking a picture and sharing it on your phone is for one, is a lot more personal, and and uh, for another thing, it's uh, it, it takes more effort too. So the fact that they've managed to reach such a huge number of people, I think, is incredible. One thing that um, is fascinating as a thought experiment is whether or not they would be able to grow to the scale that they've grown at now if they had come out after Snapchat. Right, um, because we we saw we saw Snapchat do something um, huge in the. I mean, it shifted people's expectations for what social networks are about, and and I think there was a lot of resistance, um, or there's a lot of resistance now to the idea that your profile is kind of permanent and that um, you have to almost. There's a temptation to try and make your life look more perfect than it actually is, you know, on, on Facebook right. and on other networks like that, where where there's sort of a permanent record of everything that you've said. And Instagram falls into that category. And yes, image sharing is a lot more ubiquitous than uh, Twitter, which I think people still struggle a little bit with understanding what it's good for. Um but yeah, I mean, if if Snapchat had come first, would the idea of a of a permanent timeline of of image sharing have the same traction? I don't know. It it's 
uh, I think maybe not. Or if they hadn't been bought by Facebook too. Or yeah, right? well, yeah, yeah, true, true. Because yeah. everybody went crazy when Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars, but now it seems like the bargain of the millennium, probably. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm kidding. Um, I can't get over the fact that Instagram is larger than Twitter, and Twitter is a publicly traded company on its own. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, it, it breaks my mind. I, I, I can't get my mind uh, wrapped around that. So when you guys think of Instagram, do you, uh, I mean, for our own usage, is it something that you look at as a, um, almost like a professional tool as far as being a, a publicly facing, easily updated um, portfolio of work? Or do you find it, uh, it, it works more as a communication tool for you? Uh, like where, where does it actually fit into your photographic lives? I'm going to go with personal because if, if I said professional, then I would have to admit I'm terrible at it. So, <laughs> so yeah, personal, absolutely, okay. all the way. <laughs> no, but seriously, I I do appreciate that it allows you to share uh, your work as, as much as it does to share your personal memories. So it's very versatile. I mean, it needs some work to make that usage more intuitive, but people are using I are using it a lot for that. And uh, it's funny that I, I only see Instagram as a social network that is photography, photography themed, but I don't use it as a, as a tool to actually take pictures with. Same boat, yep. Like using, using yep. the actual camera part of the app, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah, either. And that's, that's part yeah. of why I'm wondering if they will eventually split it off because I just there are other apps that I prefer. And so, you know, it's, it's currently, it takes up quite a dramatic... Um, portion of the app and I think that there's other things they could do with that space and with that um, you know UX bandwidth so yeah but if you take if you take the camera part away I think most people are going to struggle because for many many people it's so convenient to just have it there to take a quick snap uh, apply a filter share it and you don't think twice about it yeah and that's why i don't think that they'd actually remove it entirely i think the the way that they would have to do it is is uh sort of the way they did with messenger initially like yes it's still possible to have conversations or it was still possible to have conversations in the main facebook app but the separate messenger app had more uh, right. goodies basically and I, I think that's the way they'd have to do it for the camera um as well Right, but it was so annoying when they decided to kick you out of the Facebook app every time you got a message. Yeah. Like when it stopped being optional, is what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I got so angry every time. And I, I actually stopped using Messenger <laughs> entirely. I, I removed it from my phone. Yeah, I know a lot of people did the same thing. Um, and it's it's one of those things that's very difficult because you're you're removing something that used to be core functionality in an app. So obviously that's going to be met with with resistance, even if long-term it, it ends up being a better decision. Um, and I do think for, for what Facebook is actually doing with Messenger in terms of creating a platform around it, um, it, it does make sense for them to have it as a separate app rather than something that's just sort of hanging on to the main Facebook um, sort of news feed experience, which is... Um, less and less relevant, I think, to their future. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to uh, back to Instagram. Josh, how do you look at this whole product? Like, wh where does it fit for you? Mm. Um, I'm hesitant to say that it's professional, kind of like Alvaro. I'd put it in quotation marks for me, professional-wise, because I would have to have a following, and I'd actually have to make money. And you know, people make incredible amounts of money on Instagram with for you know sponsored posts or sponsored photos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could never, uh, I would never ever have some sort of following that could garner that. But anyway, like I, I look at it as a more of a portfolio kind of thing. I, um, 
I've done a little bit of research on like how some people have get, uh, created their followings and they go for a very consistent look across the board on all of their photos so that when they when you click on somebody's pro- profile and you see all the photos below their information right. you know it's a very consistent look from photo to photo um and like and then on top of that the all of those advice and recommendation kind of uh courses so to say to make your instagram following bigger like they require posting every day and editing in such and such a way and ah i can't keep up with all of that stuff but that being said like i definitely look at it as another avenue to showcase my work um it's definitely not a a day-to-day snapshot kind of thing for me i try to put my best images on there and i never shoot iphone only like some people are obsessed with shooting iphone only and posting iphone only photos on there uh definitely not for me i suck with the iphone i might suck with a real camera too but i don't anyway yeah i just put real camera photos on there real camera that sounds bad i put you know like dedicated (laughs) camera no you can't take it back you've already said it it's It's recorded (laughs) so yeah that's where it would fit for me like it's another avenue to share um and one day I hope I crack the formula to garner a million followers and thousands per post. How about you, Marius? Well, uh, I think for me, it does fit in as a sort of professional um, showcase. And and this is something that I'm realizing more and more just by looking at my own behavior. Um, so for, when I discover a new photographer, and we talked about um, discovery in uh, in our inspiration episode, Um, When I discover a new photographer, I find myself gravitating towards their Instagram feed before anything else. So before I look at your website, before I, you know, follow you on Twitter as a photographer, I kind of want to see what you're up to on Instagram because I feel like it's a more unfiltered look than a uh, a dedicated curated portfolio would be. And, you know, for, for some photographers, their Instagram feed is effectively an evolving portfolio, which is great. Um... But it's it's becoming the first port of call for me when I'm looking at the work of other photographers. And so realizing that about my own habits, I'm I'm increasingly becoming, uh, you know, more uh, committed, I guess, to to Instagram and to being better at it. Because for the longest time, I was pretty, you know, I, I posted very infrequently and I didn't really um, use any tags or anything like that. And I'm, I'm trying to slowly um, become a little better at it. Um, I, you know, I still, uh, I'm with you, Josh, in the sense that I don't want to be posting random snapshots just because someone on the internet says I have to post every day. Um, but I do think that frequency of posting is, is huge. Like I used to, you know, just a concrete example, I used to post very infrequently and I'd get like, you know, just a tiny handful of, of likes and not very much interaction at all. Um, recently I've started posting, um, not every day, but you know, every few days at least. And the number of likes has just organically grown a lot. Um, right. right. And so I, I feel like if I keep doing that, that's probably how audiences grow. And, and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, speculation as to what people like. And I do think that the consistency is something that, um, that does tend to help if you're, if you're kind of a, totally. not a one trick pony, but an account where you are predictably, you know, putting out beautiful landscapes or interesting monochromatic images or whatever your shtick happens to be. Um, I don't, I can't do that. So to to me, that just doesn't seem very authentic because I don't shoot just one kind of thing. So having a an Instagram um, profile that that does that would seem disingenuous, right? Um, 
but yeah, so for, for me, it's, it's increasingly becoming a professional tool or at least a professional um, portfolio alternative, I guess. Right. I have great admiration right. for people who use it as a de facto portfolio. I think that's incredibly difficult yes. because every now and then I do try to keep sort of a consistent look to most of the pictures that I that I upload to Instagram, but then I just say, "What the hell?" and I post a picture of me playing Uncharted. So, <laughs> and all the effort goes away. That's okay. So you know, it's it's just not worth it for me to be so controlling. I think the one thing that we haven't touched on at all. We did talk about it in the inspiration episode, but for me, as a it, you know, as a professional tool, Instagram is my de facto in- inspiration tool. I go, I use the, uh, you know, you hit the little magnifying glass second from the left on the bottom yep. and you just like search like trending photos. Like yep. I spend the majority of my time is in that, uh, that window, just looking at other people's photos based on an algorithmic formula on photos that I've liked. Um, and I find a lot of incredible work that way and I can, whatever, if I emulate it or, you know, I look for photo spots for our upcoming trip or whatever, whatever it is. I love that that part of it, which is kind of an offshoot into the next topic, kind of right where is it a social sharing platform or is it a photo editing tool? Like for me, 100%, this is a sharing platform. Uh, and I love finding other people's work uh, in the app, not necessarily the the edits that they're creating in the app. Do you know, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I think that the discovery experience on Instagram in general is terrific, um, whether it's using that particular search thing that you uh, just described or whether it's just following a tag, uh, you know, whatever you have several choices and it's almost, uh, you know, it's almost impossible to not find more interesting people and more interesting work to look at, um, which is remarkable. Like discovery, I think, is one of the most difficult problems for social networks um, to solve. Yeah. Um, and Instagram has done an amazing job of doing that. Um, and it's something that, uh, it's, it sometimes leads to difficult decisions. I mean, you were talking about, um, algorithms and one of the things that they rolled out along with the, um, redesign is of course the same sort of algorithmic timeline as what, uh, Twitter recently implemented, um, in their native apps. And, and I know that a lot of people get very upset by algorithmic timelines, um, personally, I find them to be helpful, um, especially if you're not constantly in the app. I think that might be the, the key distinguishing feature between people who appreciate this and who don't uh, is, is how often you are actually opening the app. Um, because if you're in there constantly, it makes more sense to have a timeline that is actually based on time because chances are you're not missing things. Um, whereas if you right. open the app less frequently, you miss a lot of really good content and it would be nice to, you know, have an easy way to not miss that. And I think that's the problem that the algorithmic timelines in general are trying to solve. And right. for my usage, um, they do a terrific job. So I appreciate it. I do think it should be a toggle, um, but I, I do appreciate that they're doing that. And again, to me, it dis- it contributes to the discovery features of the app. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially with the toggle thing, because that would give everybody the chance to customize the behavior you know, in the way that works best for everyone. Uh, I guess it's not just uh, it's not just a matter of how frequently you launch the app, but also how many people you follow and how active they are. Right. Because if you have more than a couple hundred people that you follow, then and and if they are, uh, you know, actively posting every day, then even if you only even if you do launch the app a couple times a day, you miss a lot of stuff. And that's that's. Uh, that that's something that the algorithmic order definitely 
helps with. Yeah. And uh, I do appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Josh, do you did you even notice the algorithmic timeline? Like, is this something that that impacted your usage or? In all honesty, I didn't even know that they had implemented it. I um, I don't follow. This might get on a more personal note, but I don't follow anybody really that I know on Instagram. Um, you know, it might be a psychological thing where. I admit, like, if you follow people that you know and you see how cool their lives are, it kind of rubs off on you in the wrong way. Like, I, there's that Facebook effect, right? Have you guys ever right. heard of this before? Yep. Where, yep. you know, it makes your life feel like crap, really, <laughs> when everyone else is just posting these amazing photos. So, I, like, it sounds really, really bad. And I apologize to anybody I know listening, but I don't follow anybody really that I know because I don't want to have that psychological impact. So, um, as a result, like, I follow it mostly landscape type shot shooters, but other kind of environmental portraits and so on. Uh, and they're people that I don't know. And therefore like they're more time, like they're kind of timeless photos, so to say. Right. I, I find there's like a correlation between the people, the amount of, uh, people you follow that you know you know you want more timely photos from them whereas people that you don't know you don't really care so much about the timeliness of the photo. So anyway, uh, long story short is, uh, the timeliness and the algorithmic thing has had no impact on me. I've, I've kind of, uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even realize it was there. Someone at Instagram is smiling right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you bring up something really fascinating though. Um, you, you mentioned psychological impact. And one of the things that I've, I've been reading about recently is, uh, people's reactions to different social networks in terms of harassment, um, and in terms of negativity of content and, um, Twitter has a pretty nasty reputation for being a toxic environment. Um, it's horrible. Yeah. And and Instagram to me has always seemed like, um, for, for whatever reason, a much happier place. Um, and and that's that's actually a really important factor. I think if you're going to choose what social networks to be active on, the general uh, tenor of, of of people's moods and and of the kind of content that you can expect. Um, I think that's a huge factor in in where you want to spend more of your time. And from that perspective, Instagram is, I feel, one of the best. I, I, mean, I can't really think of any other social network, um, maybe Vine, come to think of it. Um, but anyway, yeah. you know, it's it's certainly up there with some of the best in terms of just having a really positive energy and, and not really, um, I never feel worried about browsing through Instagram and coming across something that will be um, upsetting or strange or violent or ugly or whatever. Whereas Twitter is a, is a bit more of a wild west that way. I mean, sometimes you, you do find disturbing content. Yeah. Twitter needs to fix that in all honesty. They have to come up with a way because it's, it's, it turns me off. I said to you guys earlier this week, I'm going to just turn off the internet because I'm so tired of it. And Twitter <laughs> is the reason for it. I could just right. spend all day long on Instagram. Yeah. I, for me, it's, uh, it's difficult because I, you know, the, the, um, the experience of Twitter for a straight white male versus the experience of Twitter for uh, a, you yeah. know, any other kind of, uh, you know, of, of human being is very different. So I can, I can sit here and say, well, Twitter is actually great. I love Twitter and I do. Um, and a lot of the negativity that I read about, I don't experience, um, which is a very privileged position. Um, but it's one that I can't really, um, trumpet because I recognize that my experience does not really reflect the, the experience of others. And so I do criticize Twitter for not having a better handle on this. And it's not so much, I think that the timeline necessarily that's bad. It's that, um, there is a lot of opportunity for harassment on Twitter. It's not so much what happens out in the open. It's what happens kind of behind the scenes, getting messages, getting things like that. Um, right. Right. But, and, and to be fair, we also don't really know how Instagram is like for 
many people that are not us. Absolutely <laughs> true. Yeah, Absolutely that's true. Good but point. but again, it's just it's one of those things where um, the the impression that I'm getting from commentary is that that toxicity has not made its way to Instagram. Certainly not to the same right. uh, extent that it that it exists on Twitter. And and why that is the case and whether or not it will continue to be the case, we we don't really know. But it's just something to keep in mind and something that I admire Instagram for. Um, a lot and whether it's something that they're actually making an effort to to do or whether it's just some mysterious consequence of of the way that their particular user base works i don't know but it is an important factor you know it could be it could be the the fundamental like the reason for the the social network like twitter is kind of a it's an up to date a news breaking kind of social network whereas instagram like there's just i don't see any you know reporters breaking news on instagram well and also it's a lot easier to follow somebody on twitter without really knowing them or how they really behave you know in a long term you just come across a funny tweet and you hit follow and you always think well if i don't like his or her tweets then i'll remove them later on and that's it so lots of people that you don't really know uh made their way into your timeline whereas on instagram at least I, for me to follow someone on Instagram, I usually take a look at their timeline and, yeah. and I see the pictures. And if I like what I see, then it's like we apply a more, a more uh, uh, what's the word? I know what you're, I know what you're trying <laughs> to say, though. Yeah, We're yeah, more yeah. picky. We're it's more like, picky about who we follow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like if I really care about you, I'll follow you on Instagram, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> if I really admire your work, I'll follow you on Instagram. If I only kind of think you're cool, then I guess we follow you on Twitter. Is that what you mean? So if you follow me on both, are we like... Oh, <laughs> best, best buds. <laughs> um, we, we, should, we should also talk about the editing tools, though, because we mentioned them and we sort of skirted over it. But I think that that's an important part of, uh, of the discussion because right now, to me at least, the entire editing suite in Instagram gets ignored in like 90% mm -hmm. of my usage. Um, but initially that was what, I mean, let's not forget that Instagram was the app that kind of kicked off the filter craze, um, in the first place. So right. it's funny how they are slowly, um, maybe not intentionally, but that, that is less and less important to the core of the product itself. And that's why I'm wondering if that will stay in the long term. Um, for, from my perspective, the, uh, Instagram filters are among the worst, um, <laughs> that are available, um, <laughs> on the market right now. And I, it's, it's not necessarily a criticism. It's, it's just the fact that they, they, ha they can't really update them. Uh, you know, they can add new ones, but you can't really update them because they've become kind of classics. Um, but in general, I find them to be terrible. I rarely find them suitable for any image that I want to, um, post. So I just don't use them. Um, you know, they, they have other editing tools built into the app, but I, it's like, if I'm doing the editing elsewhere anyway, why would I bother making more tweaks in Instagram? Like it's really just a destination for me. It's not a it's not a workbench where I'm uh, you know developing images. Um, so, do you guys think that it will actually eventually transition away from being a a photo editing tool, or do you think that they must um, you know they're going to try and bolster that, um, perhaps even launch a dedicated editing tool or or something like what? Where do you see photo editing in the Instagram yeah. world? You can't get around those those classic filters, yeah. right? Like at the end of the day, that's what made the app, you know, so popular to begin with. Yeah. So I don't think they'll ever turn their back on that. 
uh, and they're going to have to keep it somewhere accessible for the majority of people to use. And if that's within the app, then that's, I, I don't see it ever, it ever leaving. Um, but boy, I find there'd be a market for, uh, plugins that could send photos straight from Lightroom or something on your Mac to the, to the iPhone, right. like to the Instagram app on your yeah, iPhone. Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I can't ever see them getting rid of those, those filters and those editing tools. So, you know, it's funny because I absolutely agree with you guys. I, I don't like, I don't particularly like the built-in filters, but I don't think 90% of people agree with us here. Uh, in fact, I would consider... No, they love them, right? Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and, yeah, and for I th- sure. And I think the the editing controls on Instagram are, are sort of going through a growing pain phase. You know what I mean? I mean, they've felt the need to add more advanced editing tools and finer grain controls uh, so that the people who want to can tweak the, the filters and, uh, and, and uh, you know, edit in a more traditional way that uh, just like we're used to. But at the same time, they've kept the simplicity of being able to apply the classic filters with just one touch, right? So the extra complexity is there for those who want, who want to use it only. And the rest of the people can just use the app the same, the same way we've ever Right. Do you do you like the way they've done that? Like, I find it pretty well implemented. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's interesting. I, I and I do appreciate that they've they've been very thoughtful to maintain the core functionality and keep it just as easy as it was. Uh, to me, that's probably the most important part of of that whole thought process, and I do appreciate it. Uh, but I just don't I don't think those extra controls are needed really. Because most people who are going to want to use them, uh, I would bet that they are people who probably edit their pictures out of the app anyway. You know what I mean? I, mean, I think it's something that they felt they needed to implement, but I don't believe they add anything in practice. It's like it's it's like like a lose lose. Like you have to do it, but it's not adding anything of value. I don't know if I agree with that though, because there's a lot of uh, you know we're we're kind of the outliers here because we actually have and use multiple camera apps uh, or or multiple photo editing apps. But the ability to um, have all of that exist in one environment is, I think, very appealing. And if you do want to make some tweaks to your photos, um, but you don't necessarily want to do it elsewhere, uh, the the ability to do that within Instagram makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, it's just it's it's going to make sense for different people. Um, right. To me, the there's a rumor that if you use Instagram's own filters, um, your photos will do better in general. They're they're favored by the mysterious algorithms behind the scenes. Oh, I don't know if there's any. Oh, truth. that's cold. I don't know if there's any <laughs> truth to that. But if it were true, then it makes it very appealing to be able to say select um, one of the filters that looks slightly less terrible on your images and then dial it down to like the minimum amount of effect. So you quote unquote used it, but really it's, it's barely visible there. Um, (laughs) So that's a, that's a fun little trick that may or may not have any impact um, on your, you know, photo performance, but that would explain a lot. Candid's guide to hacking Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. This is, uh, this is why we're here. But anyway, that, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, the, the tools as they, as they are right now, um, make a lot of sense to me as a, from a product perspective, but it is very, it must be a frustrating thing for Instagram because like you said, Josh, they can't really do much to those original filters 
But I think even internally, they know that they're not great, especially compared to the competition. So it's like, what can we do to improve upon this without really compromising um, all of that history? But they have changed them before, right? I remember they used to have a, a black and white filter that many people loved. It was the Gotham filter. And they removed it in one of the updates, the recent update, well, not so recent anymore, but one of the Instagram updates just completely overhauled every every one of the filters and they were all different from they, they still kept the same names yeah uh, but they, the implementations were different yeah and I remember people got really angry about that and the reasons for doing that were understandable and they were all solid like the new filters allowed for faster processing and you could have like real time you could look at the effect in, in real time and that's awesome for many people and it, it impacts how you use the app uh, positively but yeah, people are resistant to change and the old filters, I believe the vast majority of people who remember them uh, actually preferred them. So they, there's a precedent. They have changed the filters before. So I don't see why they couldn't do it again, really. Yeah, I think really what they need to do is nail down the core identity of the product because they've, and and, and I think they're doing that. Um, you know, is it really about those filters? Is that what Instagram is about? Is that what it's for? Um, I mean, I, I remember this discussion came up when they, um, when they changed it so that you no longer had to have a square aspect ratio right. for your photos, right? And that was seen as this, this you know, it, it was seen as this huge thing, like, oh no, what is what is Instagram going to be now? It's the same as every other thing because you, you know, square photos were the only thing. And then, of course, people realized, wait a minute, square photos were not the only thing that's good about Instagram. And of course, Instagram has continued to grow explosively since then, which to me just validates the fact that they realized, wait a minute, that is not actually contributing to the product. That's that's something that's a holdover from you know our previous generation, and that needs to go as we as we grow the product. And decisions like that are difficult because a lot of people are resistant to change, like you said. But um, I, I just want to see what other changes like that they'll be willing to make. Like what what does the Instagram of the future become? You know, is it that's why I'm asking. Like, is is editing even a part of their core? Um, product in the future? Like, is that even something that they're interested in? Because looking at the apps that they've released, um, you know, Boomerang and all of these things, they're tools for different capture methods effectively. And layout is is a different way of, of um, well, laying out your photos. None of these things are really uh, about editing. It's all like, it's all different ways to feed content into the main Instagram experience. And to me, that's pretty cool because Realistically, I think that the percentage of Instagram users who actually use any of their other apps is like vanishingly small, but all they need is for enough people to use them that that kind of cool and different content enriches the experience of the core Instagram ecosystem for everyone else, you know, and and that's, that's a pretty cool position to be in where you don't actually need a lot of users for each individual app. You just need enough because all of that just makes your core product better. Yeah, and I think perhaps the one aspect of their core product that they so far haven't been willing to give up is the notion that Instagram only makes sense in your phone. Yeah. Cuz it it and that's really surprising to me because how many people would use Instagram on the iPad, for example? I mean, they do, but it's just a stretched out um, phone app. There's no official iPad client, right? Or how many people would use a desktop client for Instagram? Oh, I would use... Okay, I would use it so fast. But yeah, I hear you. I don't know how many other people would. Well, I, they definitely know the demand is there. But the, I, the only reason I can think of why they haven't done it yet is because 
for them, in their mind, Instagram only makes sense in your phone. And then that's the concept for them. And will they, uh, will they move away from that concept anytime soon? I have no idea, but so far they haven't. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an open question. Yeah, if I could have anything, that would be what it would be. Yeah. Expansion to the iPad or the Mac or... I think the fear wow. is that they will somehow lose. Uh, again, it's it's about figuring out what their their core product identity is, and I think they're just really terrified of that for some reason. They think that if they open up the APIs to allow third party clients on other um, platforms, or if they just make their own native clients um, for for some, you know, it's just going to change. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe they just think that the the mobile restriction is is helping inform who is on the app and how the app gets used. Right. And if they were, were to open it up to desktop or they were to, you know, add iPad, it would just fundamentally change the audience or the the user base in a way that they maybe aren't ready for or they don't want or who knows. It's it's difficult. I mean, that's that's the kind of discussion that we don't really we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, all we know is that, of course, they are aware of it, and it's probably something that they argue about a lot. I would think, yeah, because there's the potential to make a lot more money, right? Like you open it to to more platform bases and more users. I mean, that's that's a huge new source of of eyeballs. And not only that, but an important part part of the the current uh, Instagram user base, they're already doing this. They're using Instagram to make a lot of money, and those people who are using the app in that in that way they very rarely post only phone pictures. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, they're right. almost yeah. all of them are using serious, like real dedicated cameras and they are professionally edited pictures and all of that. And the demand is there. I mean, Instagram has to know that these people exist and, and that there's a community that is growing, you know, on top of that. And we've even seen reports of uh, agency modeling agencies requiring models to have a certain number of Instagram followers in order to to get hired, basically, which is it's just mind bending for me. Well, yeah, but it's, it really speaks to the impact, again, that, that this product is having on the industry in, in general in ways that we didn't really expect. Like I, I did not expect for people to be able to make a living the way that they do on Instagram, but that's like a, a big business right now. Um, and Exactly. And, and most of those people's most of those people actually need, they would benefit from having an expanded, uh, a richer uh, lineup of yeah. client apps. Yeah. And maybe that's a, a monetization option for them, right? I mean, maybe it's something that you you pay an Instagram subscription and that's what gives you access to um, the other apps or something. Like who who knows? But maybe maybe that would be... You could totally charge for that, yeah. Yeah, because it would be something that primarily benefits the the power users and and the the folks who are doing sponsored posts are a prime candidate. Exactly. Um, I, I know right now there's um, there are several startups that I've encountered that are basically trying to facilitate those kinds of brand sponsorship, whatever kind of relationships um, for Instagram users. And one of them that showed up on Product Hunt is called Whaler. Um, and they're, they're basically about to, to launch right now. Um, and, and it's, it's just very, it's kind of cool because one of the things that's difficult, um, especially for people who did not get in sort of on the ground floor, um, and, and build up a massive following early on, um, right now in today's, um, Instagram world, it's, it's quite difficult to amass millions of followers. So, right. um, any, any help that you can get in terms of landing those kinds of sponsorship deals is appreciated. And, uh, 
and it, it, it helps even if you have them and you're not quite sure what to do with your followers, this is a way to potentially open up a whole new revenue stream as a photographer. And that's, that's kind of exciting because in general, you know, professional photography is, is quite difficult to make a living in. So the fact that this entirely new avenue um, for income exists now is, is terrific. You know, and it's something that we, we probably wouldn't have predicted if you'd told us about it years ago, but here we are. Yeah, exactly. Whaler. I got to sign up for that. Yeah, they, they seem pretty neat. I, I think um, they, they showed up on, on Product Hunt like two months ago or something, maybe, maybe longer. Um, I signed up and now we're basically just waiting for um, invites, I suppose. And it's, it's like a marketplace type thing, I think, where, where brands are like browsing and they can choose and you can set your prices and things like that for sponsored posts. It's it's odd. I don't I don't know how I feel about um, you know, selling my posts. Mm-hmm. To- how much do they go for? Like, is it all just is it entirely based on um on the number of followers that you have? Or essentially, yeah. like if you yeah, like or maybe the likes that you get or something like that. That would make yeah, more sense. Okay, like blog based likes or sorry, blog based advertising sponsored posts. Like very often they're based on actual interaction with them right? You might have a bajillion followers, but one person clicks on it, so you can't sell it for anything. Um, I was reading an article, it was some expose on, uh, on like the, the big people on, on Instagram, the, you know, the, the folks who are doing massive sponsorship deals. And I, I recall that they were saying at that level, it is based on, um, likes, um, okay. and, and, and engagement basically, rather than just raw followers. I mean, raw, your, your follower number is what's going to attract, um, sponsors to you in the first place because they that's the raw potential audience but um, right. what what's actually going to affect the price um, more than anything else I think is is how well you get those people to interact with your content and that's I mean that's that's a very um, difficult skill in and of itself um, yeah, you know, can like, you imagine right. I got 10 million followers but nobody likes me yeah <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I vaguely remember the very very first Instagram follower account that I've followed that had I, I followed them based on the amount of likes in each photo uh you guys probably follow them too i think his name is uh, is mirad osman is that right the follow me too hashtag where you know he's with his now wife um and they travel the world and he's kind of always behind holding her hand oh, and she's yeah. guiding yeah, him yeah. yep oh my gosh like i i mean i can't imagine i, I there's going to be other instagram accounts that um have kind of paved the way for professional is professional Instagramming. Um, but that's the first one that I ever followed. And I, I still like every time a photo comes out, I instantly like it because Jeepers, they're always awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They are. Yeah. But it's, it's cool because you, you actually have a whole new skill set to develop as a photographer. Like, yes, take great images, but then also learn to make them do well on a social network. And those are two very different skill sets. Yeah, exactly. Goodness, and consistency has such an impact on that. But oh, you're right. How hard is it to shoot just one topic, one thing? Uh, hard to do. Anyway, I mean, it can be. It, you know what? It's. I think it's about creative fulfillment. Like you can do it. You can make it work. I mean, so many people do. But like, is that really a a reflection of your vision as an artist? Like, do you actually only see monochromatic angles of architecture? Like, is that the only? You know what I mean? It's just a strange. Like, but you don't. Right. You don't have to really. I mean, you can have a dedicated Instagram account for that project, and it works very well like that. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen increasingly. Is is you, you're you'll just create an account for specific things the way that um, well the way that Twitter does really. I mean, that's that's kind of what people have been doing. They've got like a personal account and then a, an account for a specific project that they're working on or things like that. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure that I'm interested in doing something like that. I think if, 
I think if it is possible to have your own personal account and somehow um, straddle the line between creative projects and your own um, just normal shooting portfolio, I think that would be ideal. And frankly, right. if it if it imposes a ceiling on the number of um, followers that you can get because it's not you know it's not the way the system is supposed to work, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I would rather have fewer followers but be authentic. Um, on Instagram rather than right. game the system to find a way to, uh, you know, accumulate tons and tons of followers at the expense of, um, uh, of being me essentially. Well, I don't know if I would call it gaming the system because for example, if I were to start a 365 project, I wouldn't want those pictures to be uh, mixed up with the rest of my Instagram pictures. So I would probably, right. it would make more sense for me to have them in a separate account, you know, as their own thing. And it's clearer for everybody else too, because you, enter in the account and it will probably be named something blah 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 365 or whatever and everybody knows what it is so it's a lot easier to appreciate the picture in the context that i meant it to be yeah that's a good point yeah so now if you'll excuse me i'm gonna open an uncharted account (laughs) 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 oh boy that would be awesome first picture is nate hanging off the side of a cliff of course Actually, that would be a funny account. There's Nate hanging off of things in various places. In the game. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody somebody has done it by now. Yeah, surprise me. 